Well, this morning, we're returning to our landmine series that has been ongoing throughout the year. In March, we studied the very dangerous spiritual landmine of lust. In May, we studied jealousy. Today, we're looking at the subject of rebellion. And a pastor will pick up this same theme next Sunday at the same time. And finally, in October, we will be ending the series on the topic of anger. And these are areas that every Christian must carefully consider. And uh, although they're not fun topics, they are necessary topics. And, and let me just mention also that all of these are available either on CD for a small charge or they're free uh, at the website. And I've put some of that behind me here at uh, apptabupc.com or on the iTunes podcast as well. And uh, how many are praying for our media ministries? Uh, pastor's been excited because our, our, our podcast is reaching about 30,000 people a week, and I think that's a wonderful thing. And help us pray for that. There's a lot of work that goes into that. And uh, the more people that are connecting with us through our media ministry, uh, it's a wonderful thing, but it, it entails some work. And uh, how many know nothing worth doing doesn't take a little work? And so we're working at it, and uh, we appreciate your prayers. And speaking of our media ministries, I've had many, many, many requests to post Bishop Cole's retirement service along with the keynote message by Reverend Wayne Huntley on the website and the podcast. And, and I'm pleased to announce this morning that that service is now available at right now in a two-part series entitled Bishop B.S. Cole's Retirement Service. And I know you'll be blessed by listening to that entire service. I listened to it last night, Bishop, and I was so moved the whole time. I was just, it blessed me. And uh, isn't Brother Huntley a preacher? What a preacher. I wish I was a preacher like, like Brother Huntley, one of my heroes of the faith. How many love our bishop today? I give honor to my bishop, and I appreciate him so very much. And, uh, and uh, you would enjoy listening to that. The first part of the series is uh, what was our district secretary at the time, Brother Fogarty, Brother Wheatley, uh, our previous Georgia district superintendent, and, and all kinds of others, Brother Steve Cole. Uh, and that was a tremendous night. And uh, I hope you'll take advantage of that. All right. So let's begin by talking about rebellion this morning. I know that uh, I, I was praying last night. I was thinking about this and, and uh, I was finalizing some things and, and uh, I was in prayer late, late last night. And I said, Lord, it's just difficult to talk about rebellion uh, without people just tensing up. I can almost just feel the tension that comes in the room. But how many know sometimes we need to discuss things that make us a little uncomfortable because we need to be helped and we need the Lord to help us with some things. And so we're going we're gonna to dive right in. The idea of spiritual landmines is that they are things that can unexpectedly detonate in our lives. How many have ever just had something unexpected just just jump into your life and maybe a sin you were you thought that you were walking through life's journey you thought you were on the right path and all of a sudden you stepped on something and something just seemed to explode into your life did you know sin is like that sin can can it can cause damage in your life that's explosive and sometimes these things detonate in our lives because we're walking in areas that we should be avoiding someone said praise the lord 
Sometimes we find ourselves in, a, in a, a danger zone that we knew better than to start walking in in the first place. And, uh, and, and we need to be careful about that. But sometimes it's just the unavoidable missteps that take place in the heat of the spiritual battlefield. How many understand that we we're in the middle of a spiritual battlefield right now? Uh, the spirit world is very real. There, there is a demonic force. And, and I'm thankful to know that we have power and authority and dominion over the forces of hell. And there's power in the name of Jesus. How many believe that today? And we should take, we should take courage in that. And we should walk confidently in that. But sometimes when you're in the middle of a spiritual battle, you're, you're not trying to necessarily do anything wrong. But in the heat of battle, sometimes we, we find ourselves in a dangerous place. And rebellion is one of those deadly landmines that when detonated, it causes a wake of terrible destruction. Each of us here probably know people and we could, we could, uh, we could share stories of how we've seen rebellion destroy lives and destroy hearts. And it's a, it's a tragedy when it happens. And the fallout of rebellion never hurts just one person. How many know that's true today? The fallout creates a chain reaction, usually in our families. And, and uh, one of the most tragic things is when parents allow rebellion to grip their lives and it touches the lives of their children. How many believe we ought to protect our children? And, uh, and we should guard our children from those things. But many parents, in a moment of, sometimes it's not even a, a lifetime of rebellion. Sometimes parents have a, a, just a, a misstep and they have a tragic moment of rebellion and bitterness and maybe jealousy mixed in with that. And they allow their children to be exposed to what they're going through. And it, sometimes if you're not careful, you may recover from it, but your children and your grandchildren may never recover from the root of rebellion that was allowed to germinate in their young lives. And when something like that gets a hold of a young person, a, a, a preteen, a teenager, it, it, can, it can sometimes take a lifetime for them to recover from that root of rebellion. And, uh, and so we need to be careful. Sometimes we may, we may have something that creeps up in our life as parents, as grandparents, as families. And sometimes we need to deal with that in a prayer closet and we should not expose our children to it. I wish I'd get a praise the Lord for that. We need to be careful about that. We should guard our children. We should guard our children. Uh, the root of rebellion, the chain reaction can destroy churches. Uh, I, I, I don't mean to be... Uh, depressing today, but I have seen entire churches destroyed because of rebellion. Amen. In ministries, I've seen ministries destroyed because of rebellion. And sometimes entire movements are destroyed because of rebellion. As we'll see in, in several scriptures in just a moment, God hates, he hates rebellion. Think about that for a moment. He hates rebellion. Consider Proverbs 28 and 8. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law. Someone said that's rebellion. Even his prayer. Now think about this. Even his prayer shall be an abomination. And so when our hearts are turned away from the word of God, from, from God's precepts, and when we turn our hearts from God in rebellion, in whatever form or fashion that may take, 
God. Even our prayers become an abomination to God. How many know I'm in the word of the Lord right now? I, I wanted to put it on the screen because I know that if I say that as Ryan French, it sounds, it sounds like that might be something where I'm just trying to move a crowd. But how many believe that God's word is true and it's forever settled? And we ought to take seriously when God says he hates something. When God calls something an abomination, we ought to stand up as Christians and pay attention and say, oh, hold on, that, that's important to God. I, I want to be very careful about playing with this. You should never play with an abomination. You should never laugh at an abomination. Go ahead and smile. I know we're getting heavy, but it's all right. You, you should never be entertained by an abomination. Oh, that'd be a good place to say amen. Abominations are not something that we should ever, ever take lightly. Abominations are very serious to God. There are several passages of Scripture. If time allowed us, I'd show you how God categorizes the sin of rebellion as an abomination. And if you have any kind of private Bible devotions in your life, uh, you already understand that when God calls something an abomination, that's a really big deal. Abominations are sins that are especially grievous to God. And uh, now I know that when I say this, when I read these verses, it flies in the faces of, uh, of pop theologians. Because pop theologians and pop theology would like you to believe that God doesn't hate anything. But God does hate some things. Anybody awake with me this morning? God does hate some things. And, and rebellion is one of those things that he particularly hates. To put how much God hates rebellion in perspective, we should remember that God calls homosexuality an abomination. How many know that's in the word of God? And most Christians understand this, and they preach against and stand firmly against uh, the sin of homosexuality, as they well should. And, and yet, many of those same Christians who would be the first to stand up against homosexuality as they should, they walk in rebellion, never pausing to realize that they have entered the dangerous territory of an abomination before God. And so you can't pick and choose one abomination is more important than another abomination. You have to say, listen, these are both abominations to God, and I'm going to take both of them very, very, very seriously. I think it helps to understand why God hates rebellion by viewing it through the lens of Lucifer's fall from heaven. Lucifer was the first instigator of rebellion long before Eve ever ate the forbidden fruit. It was Lucifer's rebellious actions that got him tossed out of heaven and renamed Satan, meaning adversary. In a way, we become very much like Satan when we walk in rebellion. In fact, we become an adversary to God and to God's plan. God has attributes like loving kindness, righteousness, forgiveness. How many are thankful for the attributes of God? How many know God personally today? How many have ever experienced God's mercy? How many have ever understood that God is omnipresent? He's everywhere. God is all-knowing. He sees all things. He knows all things. And we should take courage in that. We should take comfort in that, that we serve a powerful God. How many know we serve a powerful God? We serve a loving God. We serve a gracious God. We serve a God who is a righteous and holy judge. All of these things are attributes of God. And we should focus on those things as often as possible. We sing about them. Satan, though, has opposite attributes of God. 
like rebellion, hatred, evil, unforgiveness, and we could go on and on. And when we take on Satan's attributes in our lives, we become at odds with God. How many want it? We used to sing in Sunday school when I was a kid, and, uh, and the reason I'm thinking of it is because my son and my daughter were singing it at the top of their lungs, and for some reason they started singing it at 10 o'clock last night when I thought they were sound asleep. Almost scared me to death. But they were singing, I'm in the Lord's army. Anybody remember that? Uh, I think it's something about fly over the infantry and, and uh, shoot the artillery. I'm in the Lord's army. Well, I know that's a kid's song, but it, in a very real sense, it's true that we need to be on the Lord's side. How many want to be on the Lord's side today? And, uh, and so we, we don't ever want to allow something into our life, whether it's on purpose or by accident or unintentionally, where we align ourselves with, with Satan's attributes and put ourselves at odds with God. So let's go ahead and look. It's, it's on the screen here, Isaiah 14 and 12, at the, uh, the fall of Lucifer. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God or the angels. I will also sit or rule on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north, God's government. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. How many know that's a blasphemous thing to do? Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. So Lucifer or the light bringer rebelled against the laws of God. Thus, he rebelled against God himself. And he did so in the presence of God. Let me say that again. He did so in the presence of God. Did you know that you can fall into rebellion while you're in the presence of God? You can fall into rebellion sitting on a pew. You can fall into rebellion while the word of God is being preached right here today. You can fall into rebellion uh, as right in the very presence. In fact, many times I found that when the Holy Ghost begins to flow, when revival begins to fall in, in any particular season of life that I've been in, where I've seen noticeable and notable miracles. How many believe that God still performs miracles today? Miracles have not ceased. And, uh, and we have a cloud of witnesses here today who have witnessed uh, the miracle working power of God. And so in any time, any season in life where I've seen cancer being healed or when I've seen people receiving the Holy Ghost and uh, hearts turning to God in repentance, going down in the waters of baptism, I have always seen, there always seems to be a pocket of rebellion that just explodes in the midst of that. Do you know why? Because Satan hates revival. Satan hates it when the church begins to grow powerful. Satan hates it when you begin to have a passion in your heart for the things of God. You know what? I, I dare you. If you just begin to worship God like you've never worshiped God before in the remainder of this year, if you dedicate your life to God in a way that you've never done before, if you walk faithfully in ways that you've never done before, I promise you it's going to make the devil mad. It always does. It always detonates something. And then there's always somebody who was kind of able to hide underneath the radar. They, didn't, they were kind of able to keep their rebellion kind of secret. But when revival begins to break out, something about it just brings all of those things to the surface. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And every once in a while, you've got to stop pretending that you don't have a problem deep down in your heart. And you need to face it head on like a man, face it head on like a woman, and say, God, I need to get this out of my life. It's stealing my joy. 
joy. It's stealing my praise. It's stealing my peace. Oh, I'm going to I'm starting to preach. I'm sorry. Praise God. We have to be very, very careful. And so Satan desired independence from God's law, and he tried to overthrow God, and he tried to literally become as God. And great chaos and destruction resulted among the heavenly bodies, the angels, and on the earth. And when God cast Lucifer as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, it was a turning point. It was a, it was a terrible time. And because of Lucifer's rebellion, we are today experiencing the impact of sin in the world. Now, I know that we often begin with Adam and Eve. That's where we begin the process of sin and rebellion coming into the world. But if, but if you really think about it, the process began with Lucifer himself. And so we're still feeling the effects of that. Look at how people, I really like this passage of scripture. I like the prophet Isaiah. How many like the book of Isaiah? There's some wonderful uh, spiritual truths in the book of Isaiah, not the least of which is the, the Old Testament revelation of the oneness of God. The oneness of God is testified all through the book of Isaiah. The idea that, that, uh, that, that God would be manifest in the flesh, that he would come as a child. Isaiah is just a powerful passage of scripture, but I like what he said in chapter 14 and verse 16. He said, they that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee. This is just after Satan has been cast into the lake of fire. This is a prophetic passage here. And it says, they that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee saying, is this the man that made the earth to tremble? And did shake kingdoms that made the world as a wilderness? See, now some of you right now, though, don't believe the world is a wilderness. Hello? See, some of us read that and we think the world's pretty good. We know there's sin. We know there's murder. We know there's some terrible things happening in other countries. We know there's terrible things that happen around us. But in the end, we don't hear it, especially in our Western American culture. We don't view the world as a wilderness. But can I tell you, all you have to do is get real with yourself and pick up a newspaper and you'll realize that the world is a wilderness. And the prince of the air is working every day to bring destruction and turmoil to the world. Because he knows that he has but a short time. I wish I could preach about that for a little while. But when Satan knows he has just a little while left, he always begins to intensify his attack. Some of y'all need to take courage in that. Some of you are going through a terrible spiritual attack, maybe a physical attack. Some of you are undergoing some things that you don't even want to talk about. You wouldn't even want to admit it to the person sitting beside you. But can I tell you that when Satan knows he has but a short while, he's intensifying because he knows you're about to come through on the other side. I wish somebody lift up your hand and wave it before God and receive that right now. And so they said, is this the man? It's hard to believe when they laid eyes on him. They said, I can't hardly believe that this is the man. This is the one who caused all of this turmoil for thousands and thousands of years. Shake the kingdoms and turn the world into a wilderness. Destroyed the cities there that opened not the house of his prisoners. Can I tell somebody today, if you could lay eyes on the devil right now, you would know that he is already a defeated foe. If you could see him right now, and if you could see God, and if you could lift up your eyes to the greatness of God, and if you could compare how mighty your God is to how insignificant the devil is, you would not be in fear right now. Because he's already a defeated foe. 
Is this the one? Is this the one? Okay, so we've established that God hates rebellion. Look at the person beside you or behind you and say, God hates rebellion. Do it with a big smile, though. Don't look at them mad. Don't be angry. You're not accusing them. I didn't say accuse them of having rebellion. See, some of you think I'm calling you rebellious. I'm not doing that. Just look at the person and say, God hates rebellion. He hates rebellion. I think we've established that well. And so with that in mind, we need to know what rebellion is so that we can avoid it. Rebellion is more than outward behavior. It usually results in outward behavior. But rebellion is an attitude problem. And it's a heart issue. How many know that most sins begin in the heart? Usually we see, usually we don't get scared. Usually usually it doesn't really impact us until we see it exploding on the out, until we see the damage of it, right? And that's usually when we begin to take sin seriously, when in the throes of addiction, ripping children and families apart, then we take sin seriously. Or when rebellion is splitting a church or splitting a family, then suddenly, but, but if we could catch it before it gets to that place, hello, if we, could, if we could stop it, if we could realize that all of this happens inside of us long before it ever shows up on the outside. It always begins. Just lust. We've talked about that in this same series. Lust begins as a heart issue. It begins as something that nobody can see except you. Jealousy begins as a heart issue. It begins as something that no one can see except you. And yet oftentimes we're not honest with ourselves. We don't confront it and and we don't bring it to God as we should. Many of us struggle with things, but you know what the key is? You know what the answer is? Take it to the Lord in prayer. And you know, if it still persists, some people say, well, I prayed about it and nothing happened. You know, there is a passage of scripture that says this kind cometh not out, but by prayer and I'm not making any friends this morning. (laughs) I'm preaching about, I'm teaching about rebellion and fasting all in the same lesson. I may need to get a bulletproof vest before the, before the morning is over. Sometimes when prayer doesn't give you the, the, the release that you need. Sometimes you need to go ahead and take it to the next level and begin to fast and say, God, I need a supernatural. I need you to remove this from. Did you know it's okay to pray for the Lord to remove something from your life? You don't have to live with that. You don't have to live constantly tormented by that thing that keeps dragging you down. God can remove it from your life. Does anybody believe that today? Are there any Pentecostals in the house? I'm tired of Christians who believe that we have to just keep on carrying the same old weight. Listen, the old timers understood that you can get the victory in an old fashioned apostolic altar. You can lay your burdens down at the feet of Jesus and God can take those things from you. I believe that today. And I wish we could get a hundred percent of us at apostolic tabernacle to believe that God can remove lust from your life, that God can remove addiction from your life, that God can remove rebellion from your life. God can take it from you. God can do it. But you know what? You have to want him to do it first. He isn't going to do it against your will. How many know that that God never does anything in terms of our attitude against our will. We have a free will. That's another lesson for another day. And so rebellion is a heart problem, begins as a heart problem, and it begins normally in small ways. It begins to resist authority. Uh, we're going to talk about this in a minute, but it's, uh, it's compared 
to witchcraft. How many see that in 1 Samuel chapter 15? We'll talk about that in a moment if we don't run out of time. It, it makes us unprofitable. How many see that in Hebrews 13 and 17? And it brings judgment upon us, or the King James says damnation, Romans 13, 1 and 2. And these are just a few of the deadly explosive consequences of rebellion. And the hardest part about putting this lesson together was not trying to find scriptures and topics to discuss today. Really, the hardest part about this lesson as I studied my Bible was there was so many portions and passages of scripture and examples of rebellion. The Old Testament, if, if you just if all you did was to just study the children of Israel as they came through the Red Sea and wandered in, in the wilderness and they rebelled and rebelled, it literally kept them from their promise. Did you know rebellion will keep you from your promise? Some of you are looking for the promises of God. And, and you know what you need to understand? The promise, you could enter into your promised land if you would remove the root of rebellion from your heart. I got to get a bulletproof vest. I'm, I better preach about love next week. <laughs> Win some friends back. All you have to do is just study the children of Israel in the wilderness all of that time. And you could spend weeks just preaching and teaching about how rebellion almost destroyed the children of God. We're not talking about the heathens. We're not even talking about the Philistines. We're talking about the people of God. You know, I see rebellion all around me. I expect to see rebellion in politics. I, respect, I expect to see rebellion at the liquor store. I expect to see rebellion against God in Hollywood. That's where I expect it. But you know what grieves me the most is when I see it among the people of God. Mm. There's a popular scripture that says in Psalms 37 and 4, it's not going to show up behind me, but we could quote it. It says, delight thyself in the Lord. And he shall give you the. Oh, y'all like me again. <laughs> and he'll give you the desires of your heart. The word delight means to be pliable and moldable in God's hands. How many think that would be the right thing to do? So if we will be pliable in God's hands and allow God to mold our hearts and do with us in us and through us what he wants to do, then the Bible says that he'll give us the desires of our hearts. Now, here's a little secret to that scripture. When, you, when you're molded by God and you become more and more like God, you're not going to have a desire for immorality. Okay? So I had someone say, well, does that mean I can be immoral? If, if? No, no, no. Because when, you, when you're shaped by God and you become more and more in his image, hello? Suddenly your desires become his desires. That's a powerful place to be, by the way. Amazing things can happen in your life when your desires begin to align with God's desires. So remember, anything God asks you to do is for your benefit. Does anybody believe that today? I truly do believe that today. He always has your best interest at heart. God never asks you to do something uh, out of a vindictive spirit. He's not asking us to, uh, to walk in holiness, to walk in righteousness, to walk circumspectly, as the King James says. God isn't asking us to do that because he wants us to be miserable. God's asking us to do that because he knows it will bring joy unspeakable and full of glory. He knows it will bring a peace that passes understanding. Not a peace like the world has. Not a joy like the world has, but a supernatural joy. Amen. 
And so God always asks us to do things for our good. And by the way, there are many people that do not believe that deep down in their heart. Can I encourage you, if you're struggling to really believe that God is, is, is bringing things into your life and requiring things in your life, it's just like my children. You know, I, I, when you're a parent, you understand that, that sometimes your children don't like some of the things that you, some of the boundaries that you put in their life because they don't understand my son, to this day, it just gets furious at me when we're in a parking lot because he sees a big empty space and he wants to run everywhere. And, and he doesn't under, it's still hard for him to understand that you can't just run through a parking lot with cars, zooming, especially at Walmart. Nobody drives the speed limit in Walmart. I was in there the other day and, and it, it was almost like they were racing around the parking lot. And so I'm telling my son, you got to take my hand. And he doesn't want to hold my hand because he's a big boy. We're like that with God sometimes, aren't we? Sometimes with God, we're, God's requiring things, and we're like, well, Lord, I think I could. And God's saying, no, no, you don't understand the danger zone that you're traveling through right now. You better hold my hand. You better get a hold of the hand of Jesus. I know that's old-fashioned teaching this morning, but every once in a while, you've just got to grab the hand, that nail-scarred hand and follow him where he leads you. And sometimes it seems like he's taking you through a wilderness and a valley, but if you'll keep on trusting him and holding on, you're going to come out on the other side into a promise, into a blessing. And it'll all make sense. Amen. And so God is always, always has our, our best interest at heart. So we need to spend time with God. How many believe we ought to spend time with God? Learn to trust him completely and submit. Everyone said submit. There's another fun word. Submit our will to him. So in a sense, the opposite of rebellion, I want someone to catch this, The opposite of rebellion is surrender. Everyone said surrender. Or we might say submission. There are two very closely related words. And when we delight ourselves in the Lord, we create an atmosphere of surrender. Why do you think we begin our church services with worship and magnifying the Lord? You know what we're doing? We're delighting in the Lord and we're creating, we're creating an atmosphere of, of surrender to God. And so what happens is the reason we do all of that before the preacher ever gets it, we could just come in and the preacher could just get up and start preaching. That'd be okay. But what, but the idea is that the Bible tells us to come into his courts with worship. And so as we do that, you know what we're doing? We're, we're allowing our heart to soften. We should be anyway. And we're allowing ourselves to submit. And then when the word goes forth, we've prepared ourselves. Hopefully that's what we're doing. That's the, that's the goal. All right, I'm, I, I don't really have time to get through it, but I'm going to do my best. I want to look at these three verses uh, one by one if we can. Number one, let's look at uh, 1 Samuel 15, 23. Uh, for rebellion, can we say this together? For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Now, I know I haven't given us that whole verse, but let me give you the context because the context here is important. King Saul had just the first king of Israel had just willfully rebelled against the man of God. Everyone said the prophet, the prophet Samuel and the word of God, because the prophet was not speaking on his own behalf. He was speaking on God's behalf. How many know that God always uses, uh, especially in the Old Testament, but God uses human vessels to speak through. God uses the foolishness of preaching, as the word says. And so, and yet, 
King Saul seemed oblivious to his wrongdoing. He was in denial, so to speak. And he had justified his actions, even to the point of convincing himself that his actions were righteous. And that's the slippery slope that rebellious people often fall into. They convince themselves that their sinful, rebellious actions are actually righteous. Isn't it sad when we take something and just rename it and put a stamp of righteousness on it? God is never pleased when we just try to rebrand sin. And just call it something else. Just because you call it something else doesn't mean it's not rebellion. All right, I'm not making friends. I, I, I knew I wasn't. So these kinds of people clothe themselves in false robes of righteousness and false robes of indignation. They often pull other people into their rebellious ventures, bringing destruction into their lives as well. Many of you right now know people like that. Look at how King Saul descended from rebellion into outright witchcraft. Look at this. Then said Saul unto his servants, seek me a woman that hath. This is after Samuel had died. Remember that after King Saul's rebellion, the prophet Samuel said, God, uh, God is no longer uh, uh, available to you. I no longer am going to speak to you. And uh, and so Saul lost his closest confidant, which was uh, which was Samuel. And so. Saul said to his servants, seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there's a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. And Saul disguised himself. Be very careful when you find yourself having to do things in a disguise or in secret. You'll always know that something is wrong in your life. And put on other raiment. And he went, and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, I pray thee, divine unto me by the familiar spirit. Someone said witchcraft. And bring... Me, him up, talking about Samuel, who I shall name unto thee. So we can see, we could talk for a long time for what it, what it means to say that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. But for our purposes today and for our time today, I think it's relevant to understand that here we have the prophet speaking this and giving this to, to King Saul. And then we have just a few chapters later, we have Saul going to a witch and dabbling in witchcraft and dark magic. What a sad thing. And it all began because of rebellion. Someone said, praise the Lord. All right. Now, I really don't have time to do this. I'm going to try to get this last one. Hebrews 13 and 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable to you. How many know we need to have good godly leadership in our lives and we need to be submitted? Bishop, pastor, I'm submitted to your leadership. Thank you. Thank you for speaking into my life. I receive that and I'm submitted to it today. Could we stand all across the building? Let's lift our hands and let's submit ourselves to the word of God first and foremost. Could we do that right now? Dear Lord Jesus, we love your word. We're thankful that you gave it to us, God. We're thankful that we have it. We surrender our hearts, our lives, our actions, our thoughts, our desires. We surrender it and submit it to your will, to your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we love you today. Amen. Thank you for helping us as we consider weighty matters, Lord. And I pray that we would walk in that in the name of Jesus. Everyone said in Jesus name. Amen. We're about to switch into the.